Well, as I mentioned earlier, our sermon text is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 26, actually. It says 25 on the bulletin because I said it wrong. Um, the, the chapter just ends there at 26, and so we go all the way through that. Um, the title of the message is Walking in the Spirit. Uh, those who have been with us know we've been going through a series on the Holy Spirit here. If you're visiting with us and you just join us and jump right in um, as we're doing several messages here on the Holy Spirit, endeavoring to uh, maybe, by God's grace, accomplish a few things. One would be um, expanding our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does and what he might do among us. In some cases, there might be some correction to our understanding about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And hopefully, in, uh, through both of those, either or both of those, that we would have our expectations set, not only uh, about what he does, generally speaking, but that he will do among us. And so we continue looking with a, a, an eye to what the Scripture would tell us about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And today we look at this from Galatians 5, walking in the Spirit. I'm going to ask you if you are able to stand and honor the reading of God's Word as we just give attentiveness to His voice and reverence to His very person. Reading out of the English Standard Version, listen to the Word of the Lord. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now as always for your word. And we open it with expectation that you have something to say to us in it. You know our hearts and our circumstances. You know ones that we don't know about ourselves, but you know what it is that your word needs to say to us, to instruct, 
to challenge, correct, reprove, encourage. You know those needs and what you want to speak into them. And so, God, we open our ears and hearts to hear and receive. Would you speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good always. God, move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today. For Christ's sake, amen. You may be seated. Well, I've mentioned before uh, a time or two probably, there was a, the, the first century church had a discipleship training guide of sorts for believers, um, and it's referred to today as the Didache. It just means a teaching, but again, not a biblical book or an addendum to the scripture or anything, but an interesting um, just window into how some in the early church understood and taught uh, the, the message of the Christian faith. And the very first line of the Didache says there are two ways, one of life and one of death, and between the two ways there is a great difference. There are two ways, one of life, one of death, between the two ways there's a great difference. And then it goes on to instruct about uh, some of the ways that Jesus taught us to live, like um, loving your neighbor as yourself, uh, forgiving one another, not uh, seeking revenge and retaliation, and those kinds of things, the, the, the sort of things that Jesus taught that were contrary to what the world taught. It proceeded in that way. Two ways, one of life and one of death. I, th I thought that was... Uh, just an interesting connection to this passage in Galatians chapter 5 because Paul essentially makes a similar point. In fact, I'd say that the Didache reflected the teaching of Paul in this way in just maybe slightly different language. But you could say part of Paul's message here, right at the center of Paul's message, is that there are two ways, one of the Spirit and one of the flesh. And between the two, there is a great difference. That really is at the heart of the, the, the message of Christ and the, the Paul's teaching about the message of Christ. That there are two ways. One of the Spirit, one of the flesh. The Spirit is the way of life. The flesh is the way of death. He uses that very language in the book of Romans. In chapter 8, verse 13, he says, If you live according to the flesh... You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Spirit and flesh, life and death. All of that is really to say, as we frame our understanding of what it means to walk in the Spirit, that walking in the Spirit is not just a part of the Christian life, in a very real sense, walking in the Spirit is the Christian life. Living as a follower of Jesus is living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. That is exactly how Paul uh, depicts the very world that we live in and our place in it. It is just that broad 
in its scope and also just that central to the life that we live. Another way maybe of saying that is if we're going to be people who, as they say, not only talk the talk, but walk the walk, the walk that we walk as Christians is a walk in the Spirit. And verse 16 is one of those wonderful statements that just offers a very clear and confident assurance to the believer. Maybe you caught it there as you were following along. But he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? That's a clear and confident assurance. Aren't you glad to hear it's just that simple? <laughs> Got good news. One little bullet point. Walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And he goes on, of course, in this passage, he says, that really makes the same fundamental statement in four different ways. Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. That runs all the way through this passage. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is that simple, but it is not that easy. Right? You understand the difference. It, and I love things like, I love, well, I wish they were simple and easy, but I at least love with things when they're simple. Like it's clear and unambiguous. Uh, he makes it, it's, it just boils down to one little brass tack there. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Simple but not easy. So I want to just consider this morning how to walk in the Spirit. Because that really is the uh, imperative that uh, sort of issues all the rest of it in this passage, walk by the Spirit. How, how do you do that? And what's interesting is there are all kinds of thoughts. You could, you could look this up and you'll find a variety of different suggestions about that and, uh, and there may be validity um, to many of those. I want to try to draw things out of both this text and from Romans 8. Uh, where there's parallels, um, a, a lot of parallels to this passage here. But how is it that we walk in the Spirit? That, that full-orbed walk that really defines the life of a Christian. Well, number one, we put sin to death. We put sin to death. In verse 24, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, immediately, the question that ought to come to your mind is, why is it I still have those passions and desires if I crucified them? Because they seem to have nine lives. Or not nine, but nine times 90, right? You know, they just keep being resurrected. And that would be really an important um, observation to make right at the outset is that this is not, you know, I said last week that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not an episode or an event once upon a time that, that sort of elevates us 
to next level, level two Christian, or like we move from economy class to first class as Christians or whatever. It, it's not just an event that happened in the past that takes us to a higher plane. And, and it's not true here that having uh, been filled with the Spirit of God and having crucified our passions and desires or whatever, that we, uh, for the rest of our lives, live happily ever after and live above all of that. That is not the case at all. We have to continue to put those to death. But we do have to put them to death. Romans eight thirteen. I just read a moment ago, but I want to link to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body... You will live. Now, I will tell you this, th- this one verse and the implications of it become a study uh, of their own, a meditation of their own, a pursuit of its own. But here's what it says. By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. You put your sin to death. Put it to death. And, here, and this, is really, this is really the point I want to make today. As I said, I, I, I could do a whole sermon or really even a sermon series on that verse. But really the point I want to draw attention to is put it to death. Don't put it in time out. Don't put it on probation. Don't put your sin in the attic so it's out of the way until you decide you want to play with it again and it's available when you want it. Don't try to domesticate it. You know, like somebody who, 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 was, the, who was the man on the television show that had all the tigers, you know, whatever, the tiger guy. I mean, don't, you know, don't try to, make, don't, don't, don't try to take wild beasts and make pets out of them. And that's the same thing with sin. And we do that. We try to domesticate our sin. We don't want to get rid of it altogether. The fact is we like it. We just want it to behave. We, we, we just want it to sit and stay until we're ready for it to come or go, right? And the point is, he says, crucify the passions and desires of the flesh. Put your sin to death by the Spirit We should underline again. So put it to death and do it by the Spirit. You cannot by the flesh put to death the deeds of the flesh. You you cannot put to death the flesh by the flesh. And there there are testimonies of people. I had a quote in here which I actually uh, deleted. But One of the early uh, leaders of the church, Jerome, Uh, wrote about his effort to do this and this was not uncommon in that particular era in the church where uh, people living in Rome was just full of vice and immorality and that kind of thing. They thought if they left the city and got away into the desert, away from those temptations, that they could master their flesh. And he found having escaped The city, he hadn't escaped his sin at all because he was still there. His flesh followed him to the desert. 
But he tried by, by, by isolating, by, you know, being like, that, 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 like these monks who lived this ascetic life and they, they uh, created hardship for themselves or whatever to sort of, uh, you know, uh, pound the flesh into submission. It doesn't work. You, you cannot just uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and take charge of your sin. You cannot, by the flesh, put to death the deeds of the flesh. You must do it by the Spirit. But listen, you must do it, and I must do it. Put it to death. Don't put it on probation or in timeout, uh, and don't make a pet out of it. Number two, to walk in the Spirit... In order to walk in the Spirit, you have to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Romans 8, uh, 5 and 6 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Once again, there's that um, parallel to life and death. But Paul here in Galatians 5 there in verse 24 says, live by the spirit. And he expounds on that in Romans 8 to say, those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Now you know that left to itself, your mind and mine will drift to worldly things and to the desires of the flesh, right? To worldly appetites. Whatever those, whatever those inclinations of your flesh are, they're a little bit different for each one in terms of what are those stumbling blocks, what are those sin patterns, what are those things that really captivate our desires and so forth? It's a little different from one person to another, but what we all have in common is we don't need any help going there. Right? My, my, my mind doesn't need any encouragement. Left to itself, it'll just drift there. As I've said before, uh, left, left to themselves, things never fall together, they always fall apart, right? And so it goes with spiritual health. If we want to walk in the Spirit, we have to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. The battle for the will begins in the mind. Because the battle for the will it boils down to a contest between the mind and your desires. What you will do in any particular situation, in any particular season of life, will be governed by either what you desire, and largely in your flesh, unless your desires are so taken captive by the Spirit of God. But it's either by what you desire, or what you know to be right, and good, and true, and beautiful. That, that contest for the will is a battle between the mind and the flesh. And so set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Third really gets to, uh, I think, the heart 
of the message, uh, if it's not the heart of the passage, it is the heart of my message. And that is, honor the Holy Spirit. To walk in the, to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, honor the Holy Spirit. That word choice actually comes from a book by J.I. Packer, uh, whose name you may recognize, wrote Knowing God, if some of you read that at some time past. He also wrote a book called Keep in Step with the Spirit. And I can't think of a better way. It doesn't use that word here in uh, this passage, but I can't think of a better way to point verse 25 Uh, in a way that is practically helpful to us in getting at how do you walk by the Spirit? Well, honor, honor the Holy Spirit. The reason I choose that word is in verse 25. In the English Standard Version that I'm reading and that we saw together on the screen, also in the NIV, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. If you have the King James or the New King James, um, it says, walk in the Spirit. I think the New American Standard may say, follow the Spirit. But this word, the Greek word that's translated here, keep in step with the Spirit, or let us keep in step, referred to, that Greek word referred to marching in military formation. Okay, so, get, so get that image in your head. Some of you have done it. In fact, some of you did it enough you don't want that image in your head. <laughs> Again. Uh, but this is the word being used where he says, keep in step with the Spirit. It is, is this picture of marching in military formation. And so, if you've done that, or if you've seen it done, you know there may be situations like in military or in basic training, they're going to report at 6 a.m. 0600 for physical training, PT. And it doesn't matter what else you had planned at 6 a.m. It doesn't matter what you wish you were doing at 6 a.m. You're to report at 6 a.m., for PT. And it may be somebody's in charge and it's not you. Maybe the sergeant major. He's in charge and you show up on time. And when he talks, you listen. He'll tell you when to wait and when to go. He'll be the one who sets the course for where you're going to run. He probably won't tell you what that course is. Somebody will be out in front leading it. But he'll determine the direction you're going. And he'll call the cadence, right? He'll be calling the cadence that'll keep everybody in step. You've seen, Again, if you haven't done it, you've seen pictures of it. You may have even seen pictures where you've got multiple units out there, uh, platoons or squads or whatever, running in formation, kind of in the same vicinity on the same parade field. They run by each other, and you hear other voices over there calling a cadence for a different platoon. 
Whose voice are you listening to? Sergeant Major's voice. He's calling your cadence. You get the picture. This is, this is keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And the reason I chose the word honor the Holy Spirit is because when you think of uh, the kind of reverence or regard you have for that officer or NCO who is in charge. There is honor due, and it's given by way of listening, following, not speaking, unless there's opportunity to for you to get clarification for him. And it also means surrendering your agenda. So, so let's, let's apply that in this way. To keep in step with the Holy Spirit. To walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. What does that entail? Well, probably more things than I'm going to name here. But it means staying close to Him. Stay close to Him. Listen to Him. It means surrendering your agenda to Him. And it means following His lead. Now once again, that, that, that may sound... That's not, as, that's not as simple as uh, just walk by the Spirit. That's a real uh, clear and concise statement. That may sound, though, simple uh, and still not all that easy. You know how this goes, though. Again, if you've been walking with the Lord for some length of time, you know how this goes. You know that if when you are abiding with Him, as a matter of fact, in our series on John that we've taken a, this brief little departure from, John 15, we talked about... Um, the vine and the branches, right? Abide in me. Without me, you can do nothing. You remember that? There's a, there's really a whole, there's a strong parallel here to walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. You have to remain in Him in order for anything good to come out of you. And you know the opposite is true as well, right? If you disconnect for any length of time, that life will start to dry up and, and the flesh will start to show itself again. I would ask you to say amen if you relate to that, but you don't have to say it out loud. But it is like, you know, uprooting a plant from its pot. That it's you, you, you set it aside, and it's going to begin to wither. That it has to remain in the soil. It, it has to continue to be watered. In fact, I guess if you pull it up from its root, but you put it in water, it might still do okay for a while. But, the, but so it goes with uh, abiding and dwelling in and with the Holy Spirit. That, that anything good in us flows out of the life that is in Him. And, and we have to stay close to Him, listen to Him, surrender our agenda to Him, 
and follow his lead. And so I, I, I think for some this may be a helpful picture when we think of honoring him uh, by keeping in step with him, that when you wake up in the morning, you think of it um, like you got PT at 6 a.m. And like you wake up in the morning before you've even walked out of bed, you hear the Holy Spirit say, fall in, get in formation. He's calling the shots. He's setting the course. He's determined the agenda not you. So even on our way to the coffee pot, that we're already beginning to listen to his voice and say, yes, Lord. So honor the Holy Spirit. And finally, number four, inspect your fruit regularly. This is what I pointed to in my newsletter article the other day. Just this passage is one, part of probably what's most familiar about this passage is the fruit of the Spirit. We've memorized those verses, probably many of us in years past, from verses 2 and 23. Because here's one of the things it says here. That walking in the Spirit yields fruit. Walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. We know what the desires of the flesh are, and he names a a list of vices there. I... As I was reading that at the outset of the sermon, I slowed down enough so that all of us could identify ourselves in that list. Lest we read too fast and think that has nothing to do with us. It, it puts its finger on us somewhere, right? Not that, that, or that, not that those are kind of the constant habits of our life. In fact, we hope that those are not the constant and regular habits of our life. Because it's those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But we know that we, we have tendencies to fall back into those patterns. Envy, dissensions, divisions, strife, fits of anger, and different things of that sort. But walking in the Spirit yields fruit. And one of the things that, uh, again, maybe you've noted before, is that it's not the works of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. Notice he says, the works of the flesh are all of these things, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and so on. The works of the flesh. It is not the works of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. Singular fruit, but it is fruit that he produces. We can't manufacture it. We can't will it into existence. We can fake it for a little while. We can fake it for a whole church service sometimes, can't we? I mean, not you, but people you've known in other churches <laughs> in the past, you know. So, like, we, 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 can, we can put on the happy face, but, I mean, we can't manufacture real love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can't will that into existence. It is the fruit of the Spirit in us that produces it. It just grows out of what's at root in us. And so the way I can know, one of the ways I can know, if I am walking in the Spirit, 
is to do regular fruit inspection. Do regular self-inspection. Because if I stop and see that I am uh, walking in love and joy, peace, patience, and so forth, then I can just thank God. Thank God for his life flowing out of me. When I see, though, not if, but when, I see something on the list above that. Sensuality, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, and things like these. Aren't you glad that he didn't, he didn't limit the list to that? There's other, there's other deeds of the flesh we can get swept away by as well. It's things like those. But we know them when we see them. But when I see that in myself, I, I know I become disconnected from the Holy Spirit. Right? Do, you, do you know this is true from your own experience? I mean, you, you, and, and you're not surprised by it either. It doesn't take you long to know that that's true. But if I will do honest self-inspection, and I begin to see those things in me. The fits of anger, where did that come from? Strife, jealousy, division, dissension, and the like. Things like these. When I see that surfacing in myself, I know it's not, it's not a time to go, oh, I need to get my act together. I need to do better. I need to fix that. I mean, those things are true, but you don't have the answer, you don't have the solution to that in your flesh, right? It is get back in uh, communion with the Holy Spirit, close to Him, listening to Him, following Him, submitting your agenda to Him, abiding in Him. And it is out of that that fruit will be produced. But make no mistake about it. I said this in the newsletter this past, uh, the end of the week here, that uh, the, the best evidence we have, whether somebody is filled with the Spirit and walking in the fullness of the Spirit, is the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. And we want to seek both of them. And we want both of them to edify the church. But the, the best, most telling evidence of, of our fullness of the Spirit is the fruit being produced in us. And so we want to do regular self-inspection. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not a matter of inspecting ourselves to see how much we need to flog ourselves for the ways that we failed. It is just to say, here's a sign I have become disconnected for the only life that I have in me. There's only two ways, one of the spirit and one of the flesh. The way of the flesh is only even available to those who are in Christ. And then when I get disconnected from that life, I want to get reconnected to it and dwell there, and live there, and walk there. That is, 
the walk of the Spirit. And that is uh, a very abbreviated and uh, sort of insufficient account of it. But, but once again, our, our understanding of such things needs to be informed by what does the Scripture tell us. And it is, uh, the walking by the Spirit is, as I said, broader and more central than we've even imagined. It is not just an important part of the walk as a Christian. It really is what it, what it looks like to walk out the life of a follower of Jesus. And the good news is that he has all the life that we want and need. We just have to immerse ourselves in it. Well, let's pray as we go to the Lord's table. Well, Lord, we are mindful when we read scriptures like this again of the patterns in our own lives that cause us to wander back to gratifying the desires of the flesh, that just where we get disconnected from the life of your spirit and we just begin to walk in the flesh. And so those unsightly, unseemly, worldly things come out of us. So God, we confess that. And once again, I ask you to forgive us where forgiveness uh, is needed. But Lord, we pray by your grace you would point us right back to a deep, abiding life in and walk by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would teach us a new and deeper honor for the Holy Spirit as a person another comforter like Jesus sent to apply what he has accomplished but who comfort, comforts, counsels, leads us into the truth, empowers us for the Great Commission and the building up of the church and who empowers us to live a pure, holy life becoming more and more like Jesus. Lord, our heart really does long to be that. So God, we pray that you would lead us to a place of deeper communion with the Holy Spirit a higher honor of him and that our lives may bear the fruit accordingly. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. And we come, of course, to the Lord's table because of that gift that Jesus made through the sacrifice of his own life. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to cling to. Even though we are inclined to be selfish and self-interested and to seek our own way, he didn't cling to what was rightfully his in heaven, but made himself 
nothing, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in human appearance, he humbled himself even further to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father for that humble, selfless sacrifice that he made for us is what brings us to his table to partake of his body and blood. Um, I just want to give a couple of instructions as always as we begin. First of all, those who are visiting with us, um, all who are believers in Jesus are welcome here at the Lord's table. You don't have to be a member of this church, just a member of his if you've professed faith in Christ and made the decision to follow him, you are invited by him to his table. And if you haven't yet made that decision, uh, then our encouragement from the scripture itself would be um, that as the elements are passed along, you just pass those by. And we'd love to talk with you about uh, making that first step of following Jesus by faith. But the table's open to all true believers. And as we distribute uh, first the bread and then the cup in that order um, after you've received the elements if you'll hold them and then we'll partake them uh, each of those uh, after everyone has received them um, there are uh, gluten-free uh, bread in there's gl gluten-free bread in there and it's a little cubes that looks a little bit more like bread rather than the communion wafers of sorts um, so you'll recognize which is which if you are in need of the uh, gluten-free option. But we, in partaking of the Lord's Supper, we remember his death and all the benefits that his death accomplished for us and secured for us. And not only remember them, but it is a seal of those benefits toward us. And of course, it is also a bond of our communion to one another. We are not only joined with Jesus, but joined to one another as his body. And so we come together when we come to the Lord's table. Well, I'm going to ask the elders to go ahead and begin making their way forward here. And as they do, would you join me in prayer as we pray for these elements? Oh Lord, this is a precious gift. And we thank you for it, Lord. God, we can't fully articulate or measure our gratitude for what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us. But Lord, we praise you for it. And thank you, God for this precious sacrament, Lord. And we do pray that you would bless these ordinary elements and set them apart for this extraordinary purpose that by your power and yet in a way that is mysterious to us that you would cause in our partaking of the bread and the cup to really partake of the body and the blood of Jesus in a real and yet spiritual way that joins us 
to our Savior. God, I pray that as we do, that you would minister in very real and personal ways to those who have real and personal needs. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.